Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. For over 15 years, the Circe Apprenticeship has been equipping teachers to understand the nature and principles of classical education and showing how those principles can be brought back to any classroom or homeschool. The Circe Institute's Apprenticeship Program is an in-depth, personal teacher development community. With mentorship and community at its core, it's a program for teachers from all walks of life who want to drink deeply from the wisdom of the ages, engage in inspiring conversation with like-minded friends, and push hard towards truth, wisdom, and virtue. The mentor-apprentice relationship and the community that springs out of it is the very heart of the program. Each of the seven groups is kept small so that mentors and apprentices can truly know each other. The mentors guide the apprentices by providing assessment that blesses, accountability that strengthens, and regular discussions that nurture. The environment is welcome and safe. The community develops over shared meals and stories. The pedagogy is founded on Christian classical education forms. And the assessment is for the apprentice to flourish. These are the things that set this teacher training program apart. Do you have questions about how this apprenticeship works? Our head mentors are here to help. Each week this spring, one of them will be available online via Zoom to answer your questions about the program. So whether you have questions about the curriculum, the retreat experience, or the purpose of the program, the Circe team is here to clarify. Visit circeinstitute.org slash apprenticeship to check this week's date and time. You're listening to the Circe Podcast Network. I'm Joshua Gibbs, and this is Proverbial, the podcast where we explore the wisdom of the ages as it comes to us in Proverbs, by which I mean wise sayings a man may live by if he's not so arrogant as to think himself special. Episode 65, Praying for Brad Pitt. Today's proverb comes once again from Boethius. I'll read it twice. No man is so completely happy that something somewhere does not clash with his condition. Once more. No man is so completely happy that something somewhere does not clash with his condition. I often have my students do this little thought experiment at some point 
in the time we spend uh, covering the consolation. I ask them at the beginning of a certain class to name the people alive today that live the most enviable lives. And I ask this question more or less out of the blue. It's a philosophy class anyway. It's a literature class anyway. It's the sort of question I ask all the time. And they give some rather conventional, predictable sort of answers. Um, they name celebrities, wealthy people, beautiful people. And then I sort of lead them on a long discussion of our text. And at the end of the class, I ask them who the happiest people they know are. Uh, the happiest people alive. And what's interesting is that by that point, they've forgotten that I asked at the beginning of the class who the people with the most enviable lives are. Because if you have the average person consider these two questions independently, they almost never come up with the same list of people. The people we envy are not happy, according to our own, our own admission. So you could say Elon Musk or LeBron James, somebody talented, somebody wealthy, somebody powerful, lives an enviable life. But what do we mean when we say that their lives are enviable? if we're not saying that they're happy as well. I mean, it's one thing to say LeBron James lives an enviable life. But if he's not one of the happiest people you know, then in what sense is his life enviable? The people we envy would love to change some things about their own lives. We just don't know what those things are. That is the sort of surface meaning of today's proverb. No man, no man, not even the rich and famous and beautiful and talented, is so completely happy that something somewhere doesn't annoy them or vex them or keep them up at night. Solomon says in Ecclesiastes that the rich don't sleep very well. Their wealth does not permit them sleep. And he would know. Jealousy is always a failure of the imagination. Envy is always a failure of the imagination. And so it follows rather naturally that a society with an imagination, imaginations, as atrophied as ours, would also be a deeply envious people. When I say uh, our society is not one that, that has a lot of imagination, I mean our imaginations have been 
dulled on big-time sensuality, on big-time pleasurable films and music and food and so forth. Um, ours is a society where pornography is omnipresent. Of course, we have no imagination. And that makes us deeply envious. A lack of imagination leads to envy because we think that we would be happy if we had what others have. We don't see the unhappiness of people whose lives deal in the extremes. The man who fears God will avoid all extremes. Again, Solomon in Ecclesiastes. But it's extreme things that catch our attention. Fantasies usually run on extremes. If fantasies ran on moderation, they wouldn't be fantasies. They would be achievable goals. So the fantasy, regardless of what kind of fantasy it is, is powered by the thought of extreme beauty, extreme pleasure, extreme wealth, extreme talent. When we fantasize, we fantasize on the extremes. It's very rare that a person fantasizes about something which is perfectly common, perfectly ordinary. Nonetheless, nature and fate deal in extremes. There is no avoiding the fact that some people are very beautiful by nature, that some people are very tall, some people are very short, some people are very fast, very strong. And fate determines that some people are very rich. So no matter how much you enjoy a life of moderation, you can't not be aware of the extremities out there. And we enjoy the fantasy of the extremity, right? If I was very rich, I would do thus and such. If I was very popular, if I had that many Instagram followers, if I had that kind of podium, if I had that kind of platform, uh, the platform of the very famous. And we amuse ourselves by considering what we would do if our lives dealt in the extremes as well. And the common person often thinks he would do better in the extremes than other people. So we say Elon Musk, LeBron James live enviable lives. But we don't think that they're the happiest, which means that we think we could do better with LeBron's gifts or Elon Musk's bank account than they do. Right? We often, when we look on the extremes, we think that guy's doing it all wrong. <laughs> when you point out to someone just how difficult an extreme life is, 
they often brush it aside. I mean, you have to get a person in a very particular sort of mood before they're really willing to acknowledge how difficult life would be in the extreme. And we have these atrophied imaginations, and so we tend to think of life in the extremes as being fairly easy, especially extreme wealth. Like, listen to the way that people talk about the emotional and spiritual suffering of the rich. We don't believe it. We don't believe that rich people really suffer emotionally or spiritually. No matter what awful thing happens to the rich, we're often tempted to say, well, he's got $100 million in the bank to console himself. I'm sure he'll do fine. Like, no matter what sort of awful thing happens to the rich. The suffering of the rich is a joke. Like, imagine you're at Bible study. Are there any prayer requests tonight? One person says, well, my mother is sick. Can we please pray for her? Someone else says, my brother lost his job. And everyone's soberly nodding. And then someone says something like, I don't know if you all have been following this story, but I think we need to pray for Brad Pitt. This whole thing he's going through with custody or his children, the whole thing with Angelina, it's really tough. Imagine what everyone would say. I mean, as soon as you brought that forward, everyone would try to reconcile it. Why would we pray for this person? And perhaps some tender-hearted person there would say, well, no prayer is ever wasted. But a lot of people would be thinking, not praying for Brad Pitt. Brad Pitt, pray for him. No way. I'm going to pray for my mother who's sick, but I'm not praying for Brad Pitt. That's absurd. Brad Pitt's a gazillionaire. I'm sure he'll be fine. We often, we think this. The quote or the proverb, no man is so completely happy that something somewhere does not clash with his condition, is followed up by this claim, which is not really proverbial. This is really more Logical. It's more reasonable. It can't entirely be interpreted like a proverb. But this is the, this is the claim that comes next and the consolation. Remember, too, that all the happiest men are oversensitive. They have never experienced adversity, and so unless everything obeys their slightest whim, they are prostrated by every minor upset. The happier a person is, and when I say happy, I don't mean satisfied, but the more pleasant someone's life is, the more picky they are. And I'm sure that there's any number of ways that science or developmental psychology attempts to account for this, but 
you know the sort of unhappiness that often overtakes the heart of a child on their birthday, late in the day. I have seen it often in my own children. You've got to be careful about giving a child too much pleasure on their birthday or you're going to make them miserable. So I've seen this often in the lives of my own children, especially the younger. Wake up on the day of her birthday. She gets to pick everything, what we have for breakfast, what we have for lunch, what we have for dinner. And there's too much dessert and there's all these presents to open. And the birthday girl gets to pick the activities for the day, where we go, what we see. And it often happens that by about four or five in the afternoon, my youngest child is out of sorts on her birthday. Because she's just been too happy all day, and so little things start to bother her, start to bug her. And when she does not get her way immediately, she becomes irritated, vexed. Now, the same thing that happens to a little child on her birthday when everything goes her way, this sort of thing happens to me too. It happens to me in the summer. In the summer, I get my own way just way too much. I have no hard set schedule. And so hours can go by without me giving a thought to a schedule. And a schedule is really for the sake of you and your relationship with other people. Like a schedule keeps you operating within a sort of bigger project, right? That's always what a schedule does. It keeps you connected with time and other people in a sort of formal way. But in the summer, wake up at 8.30, 9 o'clock, go to sleep very late. And if I want to, I can watch a movie at 10.30 in the morning. And sometimes I do. And of course, there's part of this that when you consider it from the outside, when you consider this life of, let's say, the, the extreme autonomy over your time that comes for a teacher during the summer, it sounds really great when you're in the middle of a school year that feels tireless and relentless and churning and no weekend is ever quite long enough. Not even a three-day weekend is ever long enough. And Christmas break isn't long enough. And Easter break, like no break is long enough. That when you're in the middle of all of that, that unrestrained freedom of the summer sounds like a dream, but I can't handle it for all that long. I start to get picky. I start to get demanding. 
too much pleasure makes me irritable. I need things to go my way right away. And so even, you know, even for the teacher who has a sort of, I'm sure, seems like a dreamlike schedule for somebody who has to work 12 months a year. That is one of those great things about the life of a teacher. It's all the breaks. But regardless of how or why I complain, I really can't deal all that well with more than a two-week break, more than a three-week break. Beyond that point, I start looking for things that bother me. <laughs> no man's so completely happy that something somewhere doesn't clash with his condition. And it might not be that whatever it is that clashes with your condition comes knocking at the door. You can very easily go in search of something to bother you. If there's not enough stress in your life, if there's not enough anxiety in your life, it seems that the soul starts pushing for it or looking for it, and sometimes the soul seeks out stress and anxiety in really awful sorts of ways. I mean, the sort of stress, the sort of anxiety that does a man well is the stress that pushes you to produce, to labor, to fix things, to repair things. That's the sort of stress you need. But if you don't have enough of that kind of stress, you can create your own sort of stress by just becoming irritable. It almost seems that everyone needs a certain amount of stress and anxiety in their life, and that if there's not enough, you find it in all the wrong ways, and not all the stress that you have will make you productive. So unless you seek out some stress on your own, the sort of stress that will come to you it will be fruitless. It'll just be temptation. Idle hands of the devil's workshop, right? The devil will go out there and find somebody with nothing to do, with no stress, and say, eh, I've got something that'll stress you out. If you're not going to worry about making something, why don't you worry about getting caught instead? That'll approximate about the same amount of stress that comes with trying to produce something, with trying to make something. So, no man is so completely happy that something somewhere does not clash with his condition. This might sound like a cliche, but there's a sense in which I think you need to come to terms with whatever it is that clashes with your condition. And when I say come to terms with it, I mean acknowledge that God has decreed some suffering, whether it's physical or existential, for you because he loves you. And that whatever it is that clashes with your condition is a sort of message that God has sent you. That he understands your condition.
and that he knows and you know that if there wasn't something that clashed with your condition, you would go seeking it out and you would not do as well seeking it out or choosing it as he has done. So I'm not suggesting that you make peace with your sin. That's not it. You should make war on your sin and pray that God would not lead you into temptation. I don't think that that's what Boethius is referring to when he says that something somewhere clashes with your condition. I don't think he means your besetting sin. Though your besetting sin certainly provides ample stress, that's really more the stress that you seek out, which is completely extraneous. But there must be something at home that clashes with your condition. There must be something at work that clashes with your condition, with something, something at church that clashes with your condition. And I don't mean winking at the sins of other people, but love covers a multitude of sins. And I think that most people know what this thing is that clashes with their condition. Whatever your besetting sin is, gluttony, lust, pride, that's not it. But that there is some source of vexation in your life. And if you stare at that source of vexation for long enough, you can peer through it and see God on the other side. And that's, that's the chastening of God's love. Those he loves, he disciplines. And that discipline is almost never something that we would seek out on our own because discipline is unpleasant and it's a rare man who seeks out something unpleasant for the sake of the benefit it can confer in the long run I mean there are some it was uh, I think it's been 10 years now since I got on an airplane and the last few times I got on an airplane, it threw my life into disarray for months. And I start losing sleep the moment I purchase a plane ticket. That's the way it was a decade ago. I purchase a plane ticket and curl up into a little ball in bed at night and shake. And so, back when I had a social media account, this was 10 years ago, I said to all my family and friends at the time, I'm not flying anymore. I'm done with that. Now, what I knew when I, when I said this was that I was resisting something that was good for me. Because the sort of fear that possessed my heart over flying on a plane was spiritually beneficial. I prayed more zealously 
I was more generous. And this was about the time in my life, for those who know me, for those who've um, read a few of my books, it was around the time that I gave up on flying that I became sick every summer, every summer for the last 10 years. At some point in the summer, I suffer some sort of physical ailment that prompts me to believe my life is shortly going to be over. Summer is now here. And it's arrived early this summer. I have this um, pain in the side of my neck. And I've had a hoarse voice for weeks. And I have the sort of mind that immediately jumps to worst case scenario. You can Google the terms and see what I saw. But I've learned, maybe just in the last three years, that whatever physical ailment this is, is is from God. Or I have to treat it that way, at very least. There's a prayer that I pray whenever I get sick, which includes the line, I know, O Lord, that I justly deserve any punishment thou mayest inflict upon me, for I have so often offended thee and sinned against thee in thought, word, and deed. And there's really no more comforting prayer I can pray when I'm sick than that one. And it goes on, of course, there's more. You know, the rest of the prayer is, give me the patience to endure this. Um, Help me to treat this illness is an opportunity to amend my life and to prepare for the next life. And if you heal me, help me to keep whatever resolutions I have made during my sickness. But it feels, it's a consolation to pray, I know, O Lord, that I justly deserve whatever punishment thou mayest inflict upon me. Because then the suffering seems right. And I know that something right and good is happening. And then the suffering doesn't clash with my nature, it clashes with my sinful condition. And that is a benefit to my soul. Hold up. What was that? 
boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.